If you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Our reading today is Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. As a good uh, guest preacher, I had an illustration planned for this morning. And then on the ride over, I realized we're not, I'm not a guest. We're family. Amen. Right? Can I get yeah, Thank you. Uh, so if y'all will forgive me, I thought what I would do is forgo the illustration and just let y'all get to know me a little bit. We probably won't know each other's backstory, and we might not get to know each other's future, but I thought I could let you into where I'm at right now. Uh, and so at least this morning, we can be family. We won't be guests. So um, Dave already shared some of it, but I, I'm, I'm married, got a bride and two little babies. They are home and, uh, and sick right now. Um, but the other thing I thought y'all should know is the last month has been crazy. So we, uh, like Dave said, we're, we're preparing to plant out in Jack's Beach. So we sold our home and then we had another home planned to move into, and then the weekend before we were supposed to move into it, uh, something happened with the house, and we had to, it, it fell through. Uh, so we also had a backup apartment planned, and the apartment we had planned to move into, uh, the, the, the person who owns it decided that they were going to live in it. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I also had a temporary, this is, if y'all, the, the people in here who do know me know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a planner, so... Um, I also had a third place plan that, okay, at least I can lay my family down for like a week and we'll be all right. And I found out that that place was a scam. So in the matter of 12 hours, we were moving out of our house. The home we were about to move into fell through. The apartment we were about to, our backup plan fell through. And then the place we were going to crash fell through. And uh, praise the Lord, we're, you know, like I said about family, we, um, the church at East has been great. One of the, one of the deacons um, they have two back bedrooms in their home, and so they just caught me and my bride and our little babies. But So when Dave says that my wife is at home uh, with two little kids, he means she's in the back bedroom of somebody else's house right now, <laughs> keeping two little kids. So That's right, yeah. Amen. The reason I, I, I uh, so I wanted to, to connect on that, but then I also wanted to share, uh, to different degrees for all of us, life is hard, yes, right? And... Life is confusing, and life is ambiguous, right? Uh, last, last comment on that. that. That home that fell through, uh, exactly a month before we were supposed to move out of our home, we were waking up in the morning, we were about to go make an offer on another house, and this new house hit the, hit the market that morning. We were the first people to see it. It was exactly what we were looking for. We made the offer. I mean, it's one of those moments where you're like, God has done this thing, you know? He has shown up. And we start moving towards it for three, about three and a half weeks, and then it ends up falling through. So that's the confusing part, right? So this morning, as we come to Psalm 131, what I'm hoping we can do is answer the question, what does it look like to walk with Jesus when life is confusing? Let me say that another way. That's, a, that's another way of saying, what does it mean to be the church? Amen. All right? So the first thing I want you to see uh, comes directly out of uh, verse 2. But the first thing it means to walk with Jesus when life is confusing is it means to be human. 
So I want you to see that David says, um, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Now listen, David didn't say, I kept my soul quiet. He said, I quieted it. Part of what it means to be human is that your heart is full of chaos, right? We are the human heart, uh, it, deep in its center, is wired for two things. One is meaning, right? We need to have a purpose for our life. And the second is security. We need to be sure that things are going to turn out well and, and that somebody's looking out for us. And so when those two things aren't happening, our heart can spin out of control and get, and get crazy. And that's when you come to Psalm 131, that's where David is at as he, as he pens this psalm, his heart is spun up. I've been telling y'all already that I've got this baby girl, and uh, she's 10 months old. I know. She is the sweetest thing on the planet. Um, but I'll tell you what, she loves her mama. And um, if, if she is hungry or it's late, uh, she wants mama. And last night I was, I was just... I was repping the sermon, and I was uh, out walking on the patio of our friend's house, and I'm holding Addie, and for like 45 minutes or an hour, she was just flailing. I mean, like back arched, head flailing. I mean, she, y'all, y'all who have kids, y'all have seen, you know, she's crazy. <laughs> and then I walk inside, and I hand her to mama, and she's like, instant peace, you know? But our heart is exactly like that. That if, if the thing that we're longing for, it, we can't see our way to it, our, our hearts can get out of control. Our hearts can get wound up. They can get chaotic, right? The second thing I want you to see uh, about being human is that it also does us no good to ignore our hearts. So you see, in, again, in verse 2, David says not only was, did he not keep his soul quiet, but, but he didn't ignore it. He calmed it. He needed to, he needed to do something with the chaos, in his heart, right? So, uh, you know, through this whole entire journey, there's, there's been times that I've been confused. There's times I've been angry. There's times I've been frustrated, d- depressed, despair, mad, excited, joyful. I mean, all of those things. And I've had to decide, was I going to ignore them? Was I going to hide them from other people? Was I going to hide them from Jesus? Or was I going to do something with them? And what I want you to see at the beginning is that the first thing it takes to walk with Jesus in the midst of a confusing life is you need to go ahead and be human. You need to know that your heart is filled with chaos, and then you can't ignore that chaos. You've got to do something with it, right? So that, that takes us to our second point. What should we do with the chaos of our hearts? And I want you to see in Psalm 131 that you've got two options. The first option is, uh, and David says it in verse 1, at the end he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. See, the first option you have that David's refusing here is you can take matters into your own hands. So uh, that word that David says, too great, too wonderful for me, those are usually the words that are, are used to describe God's act of creating and God's act of saving. Let me say that again. What David is saying here is what you have the option to do is try to save yourself, try to create life for yourself. That's the first option of the human heart. So what does that look like? What does it look like when a human uh, tries to save themselves? Uh, 
You know, one of the things that we do as humans is uh, when we come to God, we try to clean ourselves up. I, think, I appreciated that this morning about, uh, I, think, I think it was Dave who said, we can come as we are. One of the things we try to do is clean ourselves up. And what we do as we clean ourselves up is we become good deed doers, right? Amen. The other thing we do is when we do something wrong, we heap up guilt and shame on ourselves. And so y'all know penance. Penance is, I, you know, I do enough, I avoid enough bad stuff, and I heap enough guilt on myself, and I heap, heap enough shame on myself that finally I feel like I've punished myself enough and I've cleaned myself up. And what we're doing when we do that is we're manipulating God. We're trying to get God to love us by making ourselves lovely. But let me say this to you this morning. You're not loved because you're lovely. You're lovely because you're loved. Can I say that again? You're not loved because you're lovely. You are lovely because you're loved. Jesus Christ has made you lovely. The second thing that we tend to do that's the, the first option of the human heart is not only do we try to save ourselves, but we try to find life for ourselves. So uh, usually that word is described as the life that God creates. He made man and he made woman and he made animals and he made the sky and he made the stars and he made the earth and he gave us our work and he gave us our food and all of the things that God does in his provision for us, we can try to do for ourselves. And usually what that looks like when we try to do that for ourselves is it comes in the form of excesses. Say that again, excesses. The first kind of excess is, uh, you know, we can go after God's provision to the extreme. One of those, um, it's, it's a big word, but is careerism. We can find our meaning and our purpose in our work. And what will happen is, uh, as we begin to overwork and invest in it, we give our best, best selves to our work. And then what happens is the things that get in the way of our work, we begin to become anxious about and angry towards. But that's usually a sign that we've begun to pursue our work as a way to get life. A second way is uh, we can turn to things like addiction. We can allow the pain of our story to define us. And then we turn to other things to try to soothe that pain. And so our pursuit becomes, what is it that satisfies us? What is it that soothes the pain? And let me pursue it. Sometimes uh, it can be alcohol. Sometimes it can be drugs. Sometimes it can be social media. Sometimes it can be politics. It can be any number of things that we can become addicted to. A third thing is when we take good things and make them the best things. We make them great things. An example of that is family. It is a good thing to be a parent. I've got a baby boy and a baby girl. I've got a beautiful bride. But you know what? I can turn them into an idol. I can try to find meaning in life in my family. And here's an example. I can, uh, I can become so preoccupied with becoming a good parent that I can become distracted and anxious about getting my kids into the right school. I can become distracted and preoccupied with Instagram-worthy vacations and creating storybook memories, right? But listen, I'm not trying to, if, if you're in any of those three places, because I'll tell you right now, I'm in the middle of all three of them, right, this minute. <laughs> Uh, I'm not trying to jam you up. What I want you to hear this morning is I completely get where you're coming from. This first option is the natural instinct of the human heart. The first instinct of the human heart is when it, is when it wakes up 
realizes it's chaos, realizes it needs to do something with it, the first thing it tries to do is take care of it itself. And so you will try to save yourself and you will try to create life for yourself. But this is what I want you to hear this morning. You know, you were made beautiful. You were made in the image of the God that spoke the cosmos into being. The second thing is you were given that cosmos to take care of it. You were given a really great purpose in Christ. The third thing is you were made completely dependent on him. You were made for your meaning and your life to come from God himself. And so when we attempt independence, it doesn't mean anything for us except death. It doesn't mean anything for us except despair or decay or distress. There is no life to be had in pursuing salvation on your own. There's no life to be had in pursuing meaning on your own terms. And so it leaves us this morning then with, what's the better option? If we have chaos in our hearts and the world is confusing, what does it look like to walk with Jesus in the midst of a confusing life? And I want to turn you to your second option. And your second option comes in two forms. And I'm, I'm sorry if it takes a little bit of explaining, but it's good. Uh, in verse 1, I want you all to notice really closely. You notice that David says he does not do something. And he says it three times. He says, I, I, um, he says, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous. You see, what David is first saying is the, the, the faithful response, what it means to walk with Jesus in a confusing life, is repentance. Repentance is a $5 church word for saying, I recognize that this stuff is bad for me. It will harm me, and I'm going to choose not to do it. What David is saying is, I'm going to refuse to put myself in the place of God because I know that there's no good for it in me. And now listen, repentance is, uh, it's never perfect. You will never make this decision once and for all and then, and then be done with it, but repentance is serious. And repentance uh, is for real. At the same time of repentance, we've decided, okay, I've got this chaos in my heart, I need to do something about it, and, uh, but, but I'm not gonna take matters into my own hands. What then should we do with it? What then should we do with it? I want to turn you to verse 3, and this is going to be the bulk of the rest of our time this morning. I want to point you towards, towards three words in verse 3. The first one is, is when it says, the Lord. Y'all see that word in verse 3? The Lord is the way your English Bible translates the personal name of God. See, what it's saying, David is saying, is the object of our hearts is a person. The object of your heart, the place that will satisfy and calm and quiet the chaos of your heart is not fate. It's not a higher power. It is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. I'm going to talk about that this morning. So let me, let me just say that to you uh, another way. Um, you know, some big words are uh, cr- Christians aren't fatalists. Y'all know what a fatalist is? A fatalist is when someone says, uh, well, if it's meant to be, it'll be. Christians aren't fatalists. Christians also aren't deists. Deists are people who say, well, there's the, you know, the man upstairs. He'll, he'll take care of it. Christians believe and hope in Jesus Christ. 
So I want to turn you to your second uh, word. The second word is, y'all see it there? It says Israel. Now again, we're, we're reading out of the Old Testament right now, but we know on this side of Christ coming and having given the, the New Testament that Israel was just, uh, if you'll let me say it this way, the church in embryo. Israel was just, just what would become the church eventually. And Israel, notice that David didn't say all of humanity. He said a really distinct people of God. And that people of God are defined by the promises of God. God is the one who's called Israel out of Egypt to be a nation. And God is the one who's called the church out of the world to himself. But he did that through a set of promises. But it also means that you're distinct in the world. It means that the way you go about calming and quieting your soul is not like the way the world does. The resources that are given to them that only lead to death aren't the resources that are given to you. The resources that are given to you to calm and quiet your soul are the promises of God himself. The third word I want y'all to see this morning, y'all see right there where it says uh, we started with the Lord and then we talked about Israel. There's two people now. There are two parties. There's God in the person of Christ. And then there's the church. What's the relationship? What is the posture between God and the church or the church and God? That's the question we've been building to this whole entire morning. What does it mean to walk with Jesus in the midst of a confusing life? And what does it mean to be the church? Can y'all guess? Can you see the word in there? It says hope. Hope in the Lord. The posture of the church towards Jesus Christ is hope. But I wrestled with this all week. I'll just be real honest with you. What is our hope? What is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? I wondered, uh, you know, we're, we're, we were, we've been searching for a home. I've been wondering where uh, my kids are going to sleep um, you know, how things are going to go. Hey, Dave can tell you planting a church is not, uh, you know, the most stable experience in, in the world. Um, but I've been looking, if it, if it tells you anything, I've been looking forward to the stability of church planting. So that, that's exciting. Um, but the, every single time I took those hopes to Christ, I always realized, I always ended up at the place where I don't, the, the hope that I have in Christ is not my own hope. It's not the hope for a good house, or it's not the hope for a good neighborhood, or it's not even the hope for a successful church plant. The hope that the church has in Jesus Christ is the hope that's given to the church. The hope that you have is the hope that God himself has given you in Christ. And so what I want to talk about this morning is the three hopes that are given to the church by God in Christ. The first one, is the forgiveness of sins. Amen. If you're here this morning and you are a sinner, I'm a sinner. If you're here this morning and you have done something wrong or you have something hanging over you or frankly you've just, you can't, you don't know your way to God. Amen. Do you know your sin is forgiven? Redemption is accomplished. Jesus Christ, God himself, stepped down in human history lived, I'm going to say these words, perfectly, perpetually, and personally obedient. What that means is that God himself submitted himself to a human life to live it perfectly and then die to death as a human so that the consequences of your sin would already be dealt with. Listen, 
your faith doesn't save you. That sounds great. Dave's going to talk to me after church, after saying that. Jesus Christ saves you, is what I want you to hear this morning. Your redemption is already done in the past. Jesus Christ already lived the life that's your record. And Jesus Christ already died the death that deals with the consequences of your sin. The second hope I want, you to, I want you to hear this morning is about your future. We were just, talk, we were just singing it uh, as we were singing, we will feast in the house of Zion, but we deal with pain and tears and death. I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, this week when I, when I think about it relatively, it hasn't, been, it hasn't been the hardest week or month of my life, and it hasn't been the hardest week or month that I know in someone else's life, but I've wept this week. And I've had pain this week. Uh, and I've had, well, thankfully, to be honest with you, we haven't dealt with death this week. That's been amazing. But the future hope you have is that Jesus Christ, who came in a body, Amen. rose to heaven in a body, is coming back in a body. Yes. And you know what he's going to do when he comes back in a body? He's going to raise the church to new bodies. Amen. And he's going to give those bodies a new creation. What I want you to see is in, when you think about your future, the hope you have is that Jesus Christ will return and will raise the church from the grave. And on that day, there will be no weeping. There'll be no more pain and death will be no more. So where does that leave us in living in the midst of a confusing world. We've got a past hope. That past hope is the fact that our sins have already been dealt with in Christ and our, our life, our record is already perfect in him. Amen. We've already been given the fact that our future is certain. Jesus Christ will return in a body and you will have a new body. That is a fact. What are we going to do with the present? The promise you have for the present right now is that Jesus Christ, the man who, who united humanity and God in himself, today in his human body, sits on the throne of heaven. And do you know what he's doing on the throne of heaven right now? It says he's doing two things. It says he's interceding for you, and he's working all things together for your good. You can be sure right now in the midst of a confusing life that there is no one who's praying for you that's higher than Jesus Christ. <laughs> the king himself is in the throne room taking matters. To hand. And the second thing you can be sure of is your king, there's no lower throne he sits on, but your king sits on the throne of heaven. He's working all things together for your good. But I want to be honest with you. The good that he has in mind for you is himself. The good he has in mind for you is to wed you to himself. And so part of that means waiting. Part of that means living life in a broken, confusing world, wondering if it's ever going to end and wondering when he's going to return. And that, that leads me to the very last point. When should we hope in him? And how long should we hope on him? Uh-oh. The, the psalm closes with, from now, right now, you should hope in Christ. Amen. And then it says, until... That means the future. That means in the future you should hope in Christ. And do you know when that until ends? Until forever comes. 
until Jesus Christ comes back and forever comes. You will hope in Christ from now until forever. And that means in every single circumstance. So what I want you to see this morning is that what it means to walk with Christ in the midst of a confusing life and a confusing world, David starts it at the beginning, is is to not become preoccupied with great and marvelous things. The church is not the people who become preoccupied with the, the saving ourselves and where we think life comes from in the world. The church are people who become preoccupied with the promises of God and they become preoccupied with the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again this morning. What it means to be the church and live life in a confusing world is to become preoccupied, not with your hope, but with the hope that's given you in Jesus Christ, in the life, death, ascension, resurrection, and return of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you as our king who sits on the throne of heaven. We thank you that you stepped down into history and accomplished Our redemption, Father, we thank you that it seemed good to you to not abandon us. It has seemed good to you to plan redemption and to choose us for Christ. And Holy Spirit, we're grateful that you're here, that you're at work among us, that in the the midst of us, you are working to take our circumstances, to take the confusing moments of life and wed us to Jesus. We pray that you would make us, as your church, a people who are preoccupied with your promises a people who are preoccupied with your life and death, Jesus, that are preoccupied with your resurrection, that live in eager anticipation of your return, Jesus. And we pray you'd make us a people who take great rest in knowing that you're on the throne of heaven. We pray all this in your name. Amen.